many ways, it's a very solemn night. Would you stand with me as we sing the wonderful cross? survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. Oh, the cross, oh the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh the wonderful cross, oh the wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. Where the whole realm of nature mine That were an offering far too small Love so amazing, so divine Demands my soul, my life, my all Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name oh the wonderful cross oh the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that i may truly live love so amazing so divine Demands my soul, my life, my all. Isaiah chapter 53, which is a prophetic word concerning Jesus. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Oh, Father God, tonight, as we seek to wrap our minds around the striking truth that we ponder tonight, we must confess, God, our human minds just aren't big enough. 
But oh, by faith we accept the truth of that which we honor this evening, O oh Lord. And we're thankful that we are not redeemed by our perfection, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, that the iniquity of us all fell upon him through Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 15. And the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium. They called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple. After weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed, spitting at him, kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against his head read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, He was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified him were casting the same insult at him. And when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling out for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let's see whether or not Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Join me in singing, Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain he washed 
it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Dear God in heaven tonight again, may your presence be so real among us. Again, as we prayed last night, we pray the same thing tonight, that no one can leave this building that they have just been in another church service. But tonight, let it truly be said, we are in the presence of God. Through Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Last night... The room was lighted by candles because in the upper room where Jesus was his with his disciples and instituted the Lord's Supper, it would have been a room lighted by candles. And so we thought last night to relieve that experience the best we could. Last night, the cross was shrouded in purple because the purple is the color of royalty and last night it was awaiting the arrival of the Lord of glory and shortly after daybreak the Lord of glory was nailed to that cross tonight the cross is empty but shrouded in black because it was upon that cross the Lord of glory died. Jesus was nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men. Here's what Peter wrote in uh, Peter's words in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And so tonight the cross is empty because a few hours ago, Jesus' body was taken from the cross, hurriedly, temporarily prepared for burial. My brothers and my sister tonight, as I stand before you speaking, you are the audience. But I'm so aware of another audience, and that audience is Jesus himself. 
who from his throne will hear every word I say tonight. And I almost flinch and want to turn away from this responsibility. But it is one that God has laid upon me. And so tonight we seek to bring the word of the Lord. After the crucifixion, Peter and John in bewilderment went into Jerusalem. And they spent time in the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. No one knows where Thomas went. He just went off by himself somewhere. Judas, of course, had hanged himself already. And the other eight disciples, along with the women, Mary and Martha and mother, the mother of Jesus and others, went back to Bethany to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and heartbroken, heartbroken, you can imagine what that experience must have been like as they began to ponder what they had just seen. Tonight, to the degree we can, let us enter that room in Bethany and with them ponder what they saw and what they heard and especially the words of Jesus. They no doubt were filled with grief. And they wrestled. They really must have wrestled with the meaning of it all. We have to realize that as Jesus Christ spoke words from the cross that they heard, they were spoken with great difficulty. The first reason would have been because of the horrible torture that he had experienced even before he was crucified. Remember, he was flogged. Three of our Gospels recount that, Matthew 27, 26. After having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Mark 15, or having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified in John 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Luke doesn't mention that at all, but that brief statement describes one of the most horrible things that the Romans did to people. The lash that was used for the scourge was braided leather, many, many strands. On the end were metal balls, and interwoven into that braided leather were sharp stones, sharp pieces of metal, and sharp bones. And as the lash was applied to the back, the metal balls caused great wounds. The elements, other elements in the, uh, in the lash cut deeply into the skin, sometimes so much that the spine was actually exposed. And that was done from the top of the shoulders to the top of the thighs. And many who underwent that horrible experience died as a result. But... Those who didn't usually had some kind of lifetime, lifetime evidence that they had had it happen to them. There's a very striking statement in John. When Jesus was in the garden with his disciples and he had been praying, and Judas, leading the soldiers, started coming out to pick him up. The interesting thing, Jesus got up and the scripture says, knowing all things that were going to come upon him, he went forth. Who are you looking for? Jesus, I am he. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. He knew that he was going to experience that horrible scourging. Why did he do it? As we noted last night, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. Those who were flogged because of the loss of blood began to experience hypovolemic shock. The heart 
tried to race to pump blood that wasn't there. Kidneys sometimes tried to shut down because of the loss of fluid. Blood pressure got dangerously low and there was tremendous thirst as the body was crying out for fluid that was being lost through those wounds. And Jesus knew that's what was going to happen to him. Knowing all things, he went forth. So when Jesus was forced to carry the cross and start walking with it, he already was so weak, physically in a state of shock, that as he started to walk, he stumbled. Now what he was forced to carry was the patibulum. The patibulum is the horizontal thing and Jesus tried to carry that. He stumbled and when he stumbled then they grabbed a man out of the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, and he bore it uh, the rest of the way. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. When they arrived at Calvary, the patibulum was placed on the ground. Then Jesus was placed upon it with his shoulders and arms extended. And then six-inch spikes were driven in at the base of the hand at the wrist where there's the median nerve. I read one physician describing what that must have been like. He said it was like hitting your crazy bone, <laughs> only having that median nerve pinched with pliers and never letting up. Think of that horrible pain. But Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. There's a word that was coined to describe that pain. That word is excruciating which means from the cross it's a part of our language today but that's where it came from that particular experience and Jesus knowing all things that were coming upon him went forth then strong men would grab the patibulum and lift it up and stick it in a notch in the vertical pole and when that was done the shoulders of the victim were dislocated. Psalm 22, which is a prophecy of all that happened just now, uh, says more than once, my bones are out of joint, describing that part of the crucifixion. And then after that, the knees were slightly bent and nails were put in the feet. In a moment, we'll talk about why the knees were slightly and then sometimes a spike was put through the back of the vertical pole so the man who was struggling so much could actually impale himself on it to try to get some relief. You see, the Romans wanted the person who was being crucified to die slowly and suffer while doing so. And Jesus knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. Now, suspended in this fashion, the person could inhale, but not exhale. And that's why the knees were bent. So they could push up, grab a breath, push up and speak, exhale, and sit down, and then push back up and keep doing that till finally the legs gave out and no longer could the person survive. And respiratory acidosis then would develop and the blood would get carbonic acid in it. There'd be a very irregular heartbeat. And Jesus, knowing all that was coming upon him, went forth. And one thing that took place was hypovolemic shock and the very rapid heartbeat, as we said, and 
the irregular heartbeat, and then would develop pericardial effusion. That's when the tissue around the heart starts to get fluid in it. And then there would also be pleural effusion, and that's when the tissue around the lungs would start to get fluid. And so later, you remember when one soldier took a spear and thrust it into Jesus' side between the ribs, both blood and water came out because of that particular pericardial effusion and pleural effusion that was taking place. And Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. So the fact that one could only breathe by pushing himself up with his legs, the way that they would hasten death, as they did later with the two thieves, was to break the person's legs. But be that as it may, it took great effort for Jesus to speak from the cross. Can you imagine that? He had slumped grab a breath, then he'd have to push up to exhale, and he'd speak, and then slump again, and then push up and speak. Think of that. Everything that he spoke from the cross was spoken with great effort. And we need to hear those words with greatest gravity. And in many ways, they're really a terrible jewel in our faith as Jesus knowing all things that were coming upon him went forth. No doubt the folks in Bethany as they pondered all that had happened began to think about the words. Think about the words he said and the first were these. Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Of whom was Jesus speaking as he looked down from the cross? Well, the Sadducees were there, and they wanted to do all they could to get rid of him because he had touched their money. Remember, he came into the temple two times, overturned the money changers' seats, and drove out the animals and said, You've made my house, a, which should be a house of prayer, you've made it a den of thieves. They wanted to do all they could to get rid of Jesus and discredit him. And the Pharisees were there. The Pharisees tried to put themselves forth to the Jewish nation as men who were living a perfect life. But Jesus exposed their hypocrisy and oh, how they hated him. And then the Herodians were there. Jesus and his cousin John had both exposed the great immorality that existed in the household of Herod. And so the Herodians, who were fans of Herod, political allies, wanted to get rid of Jesus. And then the zealots were there. You remember one time Jesus was on the edge of a mountain near a cliff, and they tried to force him to take a crown on his head and therefore lead them out against the Romans? Jesus refused the crowd and of all things amazingly just walked out from their midst and because Jesus had refused to be used of them to achieve, to achieve their political agenda they too hated him and so these four groups had been the driving force behind the movement to kill Jesus now there was a fifth group too the Roman soldiers. They had no idea really what they were doing. Truth be told, if the Jews had not pushed them into it, the Roman soldiers wouldn't even have been involved. But since they were, being the kind of people they were, they loved to just cause a problem to some kind of victim they had. And oh my goodness, all the things they did to Jesus, inflicting pain and cruelty upon him but remember the Romans were Gentiles and so here we have both Jews and Gentiles involved in the crucifixion of Jesus and as Jesus looked down upon his enemies and her saw the venomous hate that they were throwing at him 
Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple, rebuild in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. The same way the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. And then the Roman soldiers also began to mock. Yeah, king of the Jews. What horrible mockery he experienced. And what did Jesus do? Father, forgive them. And he said, I really don't know what they're doing. The Greek grammar indicates that Jesus didn't just say that once, but it was said over and over again, Father, forgive them, Father, forgive them. And I wonder as he was lying on the ground on the patibulum, each time a hammer struck a nail and drove it, did Jesus say, Oh, Father, forgive them. Bang, oh, Father, forgive them. Bang, oh, Father, forgive them. We don't know, but the Greek indicates that he said it over and over again, pleading to the Father to forgive them. You know, Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the bounty with the strong because he poured out himself to death, was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. You know, it's really rather amazing, isn't it, that these people could carry on this way? They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen lives change. That's what Peter said the day of Pentecost. You all saw this. You know it. You know about it. How could it be that they had seen all of that and still did this. You remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here on Sunday morning, Bill Sanders, pre or rather Bill Sullivan, preached, No man cometh to the Father, cometh to me, unless the Father draw him. But the Father can draw, but you can still say no. And remember, Jesus gave the parable of the sower, said, You can sow good seed, and some would fall on good ground and bring some of the hard silver, so many thorns. And, you know, Matthew called the Pharisees, recorded that Jesus called them blind. <laughs> and Paul said, the devil has blinded the eyes of the believing. And he said, Jesus knew, really, these were not his enemies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So Jesus... Last night, Bill spoke about our Lord modeling our willingness to serve others and even those that we might think socially are below us. Well, here Jesus models something else. Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. The second statement is rather startling because initially, remember the two thieves... They were joining in the mocking and hailing insults at Jesus. No doubt they were hastened to crucifixion because the Jews wanted to somehow establish Jesus as being a criminal. And so we have to crucify him between two criminals. Go get a couple of them. They may even have been executed by beheading. But here they were on a cross in front of mocking people, suffering and so they began also to mock Jesus. But then something that is really unusual happened. As time passed, one criminal found himself strangely moved by this man who was dying next to him. You have to wonder, did he ever, before he went to jail, Ever heard Jesus preaching and teaching? We just don't know. But he turned to the other thief who was mocking Jesus, and here's what he said. To the other he answered and rebuking him said, 
Do you not even fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. Now this is interesting. The only protest recorded, the only protest recorded was one that came from the words of this thief. Everybody else, at least to the record, they were mocking and going along with it. Think about this thief. He acknowledged he was getting what he deserved. Seemed to have been a degree of repentance. Notice he considered Jesus to be the Messiah, called him Lord. And he made a public confession of his faith. And then, oh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus died first. And think what happened to these other two. One of them, when he died, he went straight to Hades, where today he is still there waiting hell. The other one, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, went to be with Christ. Remember Paul said to the Philippians, you know, it'd be better for you all if I stayed alive so I can minister to you. It'd be better off to me to die and go be with Christ. That's better than anything. That one, that day, in paradise, met Jesus. And we're only getting a little fleeting glimpse of what Jesus did between the crucifixion and resurrection. Peter tells us, he went and announced to the spirits in prison about what he had done. We have to discuss exactly what that means, but we won't today. And then the third statement, in the midst of his suffering, Jesus looked at Mary, woman, behold thy son, and no doubt nodded his head toward John, and then, son, behold thy mother, no doubt gesturing to Mary. You know, it's interesting that when God was ready to send Jesus to the earth, he didn't just pick a virgin, a single woman, but actually he seemed to have chosen a family. John the Baptist was Jesus' second cousin. James and John, the apostles, were Jesus' first cousin. Their mother, Salome, was Ebedee's wife, was Mary's sister. And here's another interesting thing. You know, never in all of the gospel records do we ever find Jesus calling Mary mother. Every time he spoke of her or to her, the Greek term in our four gospels is gune, which means woman. Much like today, we say, yes, ma'am, honoring a lady. And I was in Phil's diner some time ago, and one of the waitresses came, and I said something about yes, ma'am. Don't call me ma'am. I said, well, that's what I always use with ladies. I'm no lady, she said. Well, that was much as similar as to what Jesus always did with Mary. He spoke that respectful term rather than the intimate term mother. And so in the agony of his death, Jesus made certain that he took care of Mary. And he told her to look to her nephew, John. And John, you look to Mary as if she is your mother. Take care of her. Think of that. In the midst of his suffering, he was taking care of responsibility. You know just so so amazing to look at the life of Jesus only two times do we see any evidence of his ever being concerned about himself and one was in the garden when he cried out oh Lord if it possible let this cup pass from me another time was on the cross he cried out I thirst but you read the life of Jesus it was totally focused on his caring and ministering to other people. 
never giving in attention to himself. But here we see Jesus fulfilling earthly responsibility. Paul wrote to Timothy, If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's interesting that in the midst of his suffering, Jesus fulfilled that very human responsibility to look after his mother. And that's the point he set another example for us. Family should take care of family. That sure did contrast to the Pharisees. Mark 5, or rather Mark 7, 9. Jesus was saying to him, to the Pharisees, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you, Pharisees, say, if a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by, is it's Corban, that is, I've dedicated to God. And you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. My brother, my sister, Jesus set the example. Family takes care of family. And then this cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And once again, this is a quotation of that 22nd Psalm, which is a prophetic psalm looking to the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, according to Matthew and Mark, darkness came on the earth in the sixth to the ninth hour. And it's interesting, Matthew and Mark used Jewish time. John used Roman time. And so John tells us the trial before Pilate ended about the sixth hour, and that had been around six o'clock in the morning by our time. Mark tells us the crucifixion began at the third hour of the day. That'd be about nine o'clock using our time because he was using Jewish time. So there would have been three hours between the end of the trial and the crucifixion. It was during those three hours that the Romans would have mocked him, the Roman soldiers and so on. But by the same token, Matthew and Mark tell us that darkness came over the whole land from the sixth to the ninth hour, and that would be from noon until three in the afternoon, there was darkness. So Jesus had been hanging on the cross three hours before that darkness came. It's almost as if God said, I don't want you to see this anymore, you wicked humans. And so he put some sort of a veil, a darkness, to block what Jesus was going through. So Jesus didn't respond to his revilers, but it seemed God did by bringing that darkness over the land. It's so interesting, you know, how many times God did a kind of response. Remember when Jesus was immersed by John the Baptist, suddenly the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came down from a dove, and the voice said, This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, as the apostles were watching, suddenly Jesus began to radiate brilliant light from his clothing. But on this occasion, it was darkness. And when Jesus then cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The physical torture was real. And those who 
stood by, didn't quite understand him. They thought, sounds like he's calling for Elijah. One of them grabbed some vinegar and put it on a reed and stuck it up for his mouth to try to quench his thirst. Now, remember before the, when, when they were starting to crucify Jesus, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, and he refused it. There was a group of charitable Jewish women who would show up at crucifixions, and they would offer that to the person going to be crucified, and that would dull the pain like a narcotic. Jesus refused that. But here he did accept this not to quench his thirst, but slake his thirst. His suffering was great. His torture was real. He who knew no sin, he made him to be sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so that fifth statement, I thirst, and here the effort was made. He said, really, Eloi, Eloi, some of Akthani, and some of them didn't quite understand his Hebrew, and that's when they tried to say, oh, he's calling for Elijah. Let's do what we can, see if Elijah will come. Don't interfere. But, of course, that didn't happen. And so the one point, even the Roman soldiers mocked him and offered him sour wine, <laughs> sour wine, saying, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. But the real lesson for us is that Jesus' suffering was real. I thirst as any human being would suffer, he suffered. And again, I can't get away from that expression, Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. The sixth statement, it is finished, Father. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Often you hear this presented as two sayings, six and seven, but they were spoken close together and would have would have been one. Mark records that Jesus just cried out with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He doesn't tell us what the words were. It is finished. Dying men might say, I'm finished. Jesus said, it is finished. The reason I came to the world in the first place, it's done. It's done. The atonement has been made. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember when he was tempted in the wilderness, how the devil kept giving him one opportunity after another to, if he just uses divinity and do a miracle, he could perhaps escape the cross. But Jesus refused. Jesus refused and underwent the tremendous suffering for you and me. But you know, I would venture to say the same thing that caused the greatest suffering for him was not what was happening physically, but what was happening to him spiritually. Scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. Think of that. Jesus Christ had to become the very thing that he hated, sin. He had to take on that identity. The thousands of sins of trillions of people, Jesus had to take that as his identity. And no doubt that was more suffering or equal at least to what he suffered physically. Jesus was in control when the soldiers came to arrest him.
Jesus, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forth. And so it is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. Tonight, my brother and sister, the cross is empty because Jesus Christ had done it all. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Slain from the foundation of the world. For sinners crucified. Oh, holy sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb. Oh, Father God, again, if anything I've said tonight has displeased you, may it escape the mind of everyone here and be totally forgotten. But if what I've said tonight is what you want to bear heavily upon all of our spirits, do not let us escape that. Let it be so, O oh God. Thank you for your great love, your great love that you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish. But you sent forth your Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him shall be saved. Father, I am thankful that in this room tonight is an assembly of those who have trusted and therefore I look forward to spending eternity with them in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight as we're dismissed I again ask you to leave quietly because there's some who want to sit for a season and meditate upon the cross. May God's blessing rest upon you. And may we look forward to Sunday when we celebrate our Lord's victory over the grave. Amen.